0: reading from Matthew chapter 22. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who'd been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who've been invited that I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. "'Go to the street corners, and invite to the banquet anyone you can find.' So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who wasn't wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, "'How did you get in here without wedding clothes?' The man was speechless.' Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. This is the gospel of Christ.
1: morning everyone. My name is Joel, if we haven't had the chance to meet, Uh, and I'm the minister here at St. Stephen's, and I'm uh, looking forward to opening up this part of God's Word with you this morning. Uh, before we uh, take a closer look at why don't we pray and ask God for help. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, so much for, for this part of your Word, this, this parable. Uh, and we realise that over the, the last few weeks, uh, a number of the, the parables that we've been looking at uh, are about uh, your judgement. And uh, sometimes that that makes us uncomfortable. Uh, But we do pray this morning as we look at these words that you would help us uh, to hear and heed the things that you would have us uh, and help us to understand that we might live our lives as as you intend uh, and that we might be included in your kingdom on that final day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Have you ever had one of those days where you've been out and about, you've you've seen people and you get home at the end of the day and you glance in the mirror and you realise that you've had food stuck in your teeth for, for who knows how long or, or you've had something hanging off your nose. Uh, I I haven't looked in the mirror this morning so I'm hoping this isn't one of those uh, ironic situations uh, but you realise that, that it's so obvious that others must have seen it. If only you'd noticed a little bit sooner. Uh, sometimes a lack of Self-awareness can cause us a little bit of embarrassment, uh, but there are other times where a lack of self-awareness can do a lot more harm. Uh, lack of self-awareness has been a bit of a theme in recent weeks, and it's there again in today's passage. The leaders of Israel don't realise how, how far off track they've gotten. And so once again, Jesus makes them aware of, of what they need to know. It's far more serious than, than a little bit of food in the teeth, because it concerns their eternity. And through this parable, it's as if Jesus holds out a mirror in front of them and says, this is what your life looks like. And as we look at this parable, these words which God has given us for our good, we see that Jesus is also holding up a mirror in front of us. And he's asking us to take a look and to work out whether we've received God's invitation to his kingdom in the right way. Will we be with him in eternity at at this great banquet? Uh, We've been working our way through the back end of the Gospel of Matthew, and and if you've been with us, you'll remember uh, Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's at the temple. It's it's just three days before he will be crucified. And he's speaking primarily to these religious leaders of Israel, men known as the chief priests, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, And he's just told them two parables, which we, as I said, we looked at over the last two Sundays, and he has another one today. And each of these parables condemn the religious leaders, highlighting some of the problems that need urgent attention. Uh, Today, it's the parable of the wedding banquet. And make no mistake, as Jesus brings out this mirror, he's sending a warning. He's saying, make sure you don't end up getting caught out because you aren't responding rightly to this invitation. Now we're going to race through the parable just to, to get a bit of a feel for it, and then we'll look closer at, at the two groups that were invited at and what they teach us. So, so a king has prepared a wedding banquet for his son, and uh, on what is no doubt one of the proudest moments for him as a father. And there's something there's something about parents with their children's weddings uh, when they come around. Uh, I remember going to my cousin's wedding in, in India some years back, and my cousin and her her now husband had been living in the the U.S. at the time. But even though the majority of their friends uh, couldn't make it to India for the wedding, there were still over 600 people at the reception uh, because the, the parents, that they wanted basically everyone they knew to be able to, to come and celebrate this special day, even though many would, would never have, have met the bride or groom. And the king in the parable, he must be pretty proud that, that his son is, is getting hitched because he decides to throw this big banquet, and he sends out the invitations which he's he has hand delivered, uh, telling people to come along and celebrate. But the guests he's invited refuse to come. Now, now realizing the enormity of the occasion, he sends more servants. This time with a, with a clear message to remind them of what they will get. I've prepared my dinner, my, my oxen, my fat and kettle. It's been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. Come feast and celebrate. Join me on this special occasion. I've hand picked the, the best meat. You're all welcome but they ignore the invitation because they're all vegetarians. Uh, no, no, because, because one heads off to work the fields, uh, another has business to attend, and the rest of the people have had enough with these invitations, they, and they snap. They, they grab the servants, they treat them poorly, and they kill them. Now, all of this makes the, the king quite furious, and he, he's tried to do a nice thing, but they've been nothing short of disrespectful in their response. And now to top it off, they they take the lives of his servants. No wonder he's irked. And at this point, things really escalate. Uh, On the day of the wedding, on top of all that he's doing, he he readies his army. He sends them to destroy the people who murdered his servants, and and the whole city as well. It's it's a ruthless response, isn't it? Uh, You you ended the lives of my servants, so now I'm going to end you. Meanwhile, the the plans for for the banquet are are already in place, so he tells his servants to to go and get into the streets and to muster up all the people they can find, no matter how good or bad these people have been. Uh, Get anyone and everyone, and and let's get this banquet underway. And the hall soon fills up with guests. The the king comes in to greet everyone, but out of the corner of his eye, he he notices something. There's a man there who looks quite out of place, and he realises because it's because this man is not dressed for the occasion. He's not wearing wedding clothes like everyone else. Uh, he stands out like a, a sore thumb. So the king approaches him. Remember, remember this is a king who's, who's destroyed an entire city. And he says, friend, uh, which I'm sure makes the man even more uncomfortable, seeing as he doesn't know him. And he asks, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? Straight to the point. And the man just stands there, unable to answer, completely speechless, uh, probably feeling the weight of his mistake. Uh, the silence is, is finally broken as the king speaks again, this time to the attendants. Tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This man gets what he had coming. And Jesus' lesson from this parable is there at the end, for many are invited, but few are chosen. Uh, it's an absolute roller coaster of a parable, a, a war and a wedding, but but what is the meaning behind it? Well, as I mentioned earlier, this this parable is all about responding to God's invitation in the right way. In this parable God is is the king, and there are there are two groups of people invited. Uh, let's think about the first group in, in verses one to seven. Firstly, everyone who was invited, flat out refuses this invitation. And perhaps it's a picture of the way that God's people have responded to his invitation in the past. And even when they hear about this exquisite celebration that awaits them, they don't care. They carry on with life as usual. In particular, it mentions that a couple head back to work, one to do business, one to his fields. They pay no attention looking the other way. It reminds me a little bit Uh, of those people who who set up stalls in the shopping mall they are always right in the middle, and and they're trying to sign people up for one thing or another, uh, often for a good cause. But so many of us walk past uh, pretending like we can't see them, avoiding eye contact at all costs. Uh, I've done it, and maybe some of you have as well. Uh, We've got things to do. We're on a mission. And isn't that just like the, the response of these people initially invited? that they ignore the invitation, they have things to do, they're busy, there's business to run, uh, and that's not an uncommon response to God, is it? Because life is demanding, our, our careers are demanding, families require time and energy, pets feel like they, they take up even more time and energy. How do you make time for God amidst all that? There just aren't enough hours in the day. Uh, And I think Jesus uses this part of the parable uh, to also critique Israel as a whole because this was often the response the prophets of God received. They they were ignored time after time. Now now some of the people in the first group are are fairly passive in their response to this invitation but the same can't be said for the others. The others are are downright hostile towards the servants. They, They are angered by them and so they seek to put them in their place. They take offence at this invitation. Uh, For whatever reason, they feel animosity towards God. And so they take it out on his servants. Uh, And like last week, it calls to mind the the way in which some of the the prophets were treated. But isn't that the narrative that that we also continue to see to this very day? Hostility towards people who serve God. Uh, Just this week, you might have. Seen the news across the ditch of a a CEO of an Australian football club who was sacked after just 24 hours in the role uh, because it emerged that he was on the board of a church where where nine years ago a a pastor had preached uh, what by all accounts was a a biblically faithful sermon in regards to abortion and homosexuality. And this man was, was made to choose between his job at the club or remaining on the board of the church. And he was sacked from the club. Uh, a clear hatred towards a, a servant of God. Now for some, rejecting the invitation isn't enough. That They want to make a statement, make an example of these servants. They mistreat them. In the passage, they, they even kill them. And in just a few days, another servant of God will be murdered. The, the greatest one of all. And this, this pattern of, of murdering the servants of God, it, it continues to this day, doesn't it? Uh, This is a fate that that many of our brothers and sisters around the world, uh, that they risk when when they extend God's invitation to others. Now now this first group, the responses seem quite different, don't they? Uh, Some are indifferent, some are hostile. But, But look at the fate of them all. The king sends his army and they come to avenge him. They come for blood. And the whole city faces judgment for rejecting the invitation. Uh, and I think this, this is a point that, that's important for us to remember as Christians, because sometimes w- when we come across uh, people who aren't walking with the Lord, who aren't Christians, we, we can find ourselves thinking that this person is, is so nice. Uh, they're such a wonderful, friendly person. They, re- they reject the gospel in such a respectful way. No, no one says that, obviously, uh, but they're much nicer than, than people who actively seek to oppose Christians. They're more tolerant of Christians. But this army comes and and destroys the entire city. Uh, It reminds us that whether they ignore the invitation or they flat out oppose the invitation, their response leaves them to the same fate. They have rejected God's offer and there is a price to be paid. Uh, I think it's a a sobering reminder for us. A good correction in terms of how how we think about people who aren't currently following Christ. Uh, a, case, a cause for us to be more urgent and, and even more prayerful uh, on their behalf. So that's the first group. Uh, and I should say, some people think this, this initial judgment could be uh, pointing to the destruction of, of Jerusalem. That would happen in, in 70 AD. Uh, and I think that is, is plausible. Uh, feel free to look into that more if you'd like. Uh, but we come now to the, the second group in verses 8 to 14. And the king opens up the wedding feast to anyone who would come. Uh, it certainly reminds us of the way that, that God opens up the gospel invitation to the Gentiles, uh, having previously focused on the Jews. Now, some who would accept the invitation would be seen as good in the eyes of the world. Uh, respectful, respectable. Others who accept the invitation would be seen as bad in the world's eyes, uh, In a group of Christians, they might look out of place, really sinful in their past, rough around the edges maybe. So you have the good and bad together. It's short notice, but they all make the effort to come. They change their plans. They see that this banquet is better than anything they could be spending their time doing. And so they go and they celebrate. But among this group is that man who turned up to the wedding but didn't wear the wedding clothes. He sounds like he's dressed for a day on the couch because his clothing is one of the first things that the king notices. And this man is the one that we need to pay attention to. This is the man who I think most closely represents the religious leaders. This is a man who wants to be at the banquet in the kingdom. He wants to be there, but he's not dressed appropriately uh, and I think that the main application that Jesus is making in this parable hinges on, on what the wedding clothes represent. Uh, and I'm not sure about you, but, but that frustrates me a little bit, uh, because I would have loved for Jesus to be a little bit clearer, uh, to say, this is what the, the wedding clothes represent, make sure you clothe yourself like this. Uh, but I'm sure you notice, Jesus doesn't say that. Uh, and there have been a, a range of possible meanings given Uh, One one common one is that the wedding clothes represent good works. Uh, Perhaps this man talked the talk, but he didn't walk the walk. There was no evidence of any good works in his life. Or there's Martin Luther, who thinks that the wedding clothes are faith, and this man lacked faith. And faith is a regular theme in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, There are a number of examples of of the need for faith alone. There's Matthew himself, there's uh, the synagogue ruler or, or the paralytic, uh, and none of them contribute anything of their own to becoming right with God. They simply have faith in Jesus. Now another option could be that the clothes are like those in uh, the book of Colossians, uh, which we looked at earlier this year. I'm sure you will remember it uh, clearly. And, and there's a call for, for Christians to, to put on their new identity in Jesus, clothing themselves with, with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness uh, and patience. And perhaps this man who was kicked out lacked these things. Or or maybe this man was lacking uh, love, uh, similar to to 1 Corinthians 13, where we're having faith but lacking love is condemned. See, faith without love is nothing and and that is what this man ends up with, nothing. Now with all of these possibilities, you'll see why more clarity from Jesus may have been helpful. Uh, and there are other times where, where Jesus is more specific. Uh, but I think Jesus is, is intentionally intentionally vague about what these wedding garments represent. Because when we think about the parable and the fact that Jesus is speaking at the temple, uh, he's talking primarily to the leaders, but they're not the only ones who would hear. Uh, there are others at the temple who would be paying attention, eavesdropping. Uh, or, or as someone I know says, eavesdropping, because it's easy, Uh Everyone, in in earshot of Jesus, would be paying attention to his words, including everyday Israelites who who look up to the religious leaders. Now, why is he vague? Uh, Because he he wants each person to consider, am I appropriately dressed for the kingdom of God? Am I in? Uh, Am I someone who will get to enjoy the wedding banquet for eternity? Or is is there something in my life that is actually keeping me out? Am I in for a shock like this guest was? And the way we we answer those questions will be different for for each person because there are different things going on in each of our hearts. Uh, What's a hindrance for me may not be a hindrance for you uh, and vice versa. But some of us here, uh, perhaps we we think we've earned God's invitation, thinking that because of all the, the good things we've done and continue to do, Will be in. I'm, I'm a good person. I, I help others. I spend time in God's word. I pray a little bit. Uh, I take my faith seriously. I do more than the people sitting either side of me or, or in front of me. I'm sure God would say, uh, "Keep doing what is good, but never forget. It's only because of Jesus's death in your place that any of you have a have a chance to be at this banquet. Only by trusting what He's done." Those good things you do, they're a great response, but they're not what get you this invite. For others here, perhaps we're taking God's invitation for granted. We claim to have faith, but there's very little evidence of it in our lives. There's no joy, there's no gratitude, and it shows in the way we live. Between Sundays, there's no evidence of a love for Jesus or a love for his people, Uh, I've noticed a bit of a theme in in recent times in in Christian circles, Uh, and I know a number of people outside St. Stephen's who were once uh, heavily heavily involved in the life of the church, uh, but more recently are are very much on the fringes. Uh, And it's not to do with getting older, it's that they've got used to to not meeting with other Christians. Uh, Lockdowns may have played a part in that, but they haven't really got, got plugged in since the lockdowns ended. And they're just kind of meandering through life, taking this invitation for granted. A friend sent me this quote from A.W. Tozer this week, which I think resonates with a number of people. To have found God and still to pursue him is a paradox of love, scorned indeed by the too easily satisfied religious person, but justified in happy experience by the child of the burning heart. And Tozer is challenging readers. He's saying, are we like the the too easily satisfied religious person? Or are we like the the child of the burning heart in our pursuit of God, dedicated to him, devoted, uh, desiring to know him more? Just as it could be said that that God doesn't stop pursuing us, uh, so too it must be said that we mustn't stop pursuing him. And I think there, there are too many of us in the church who are too easily satisfied when it comes to our walk with God and Jesus challenges us now are you are you someone who is claiming faith wearing the, the mask of religion or even uh, trying to live your life with with one foot in the kingdom and one foot outside it are any of these these areas that that God might be challenging you this morning what is God pointing out as, as he, holds up the mirror? Are you rightly accepting this invitation into the kingdom? Or are there changes that you need to make that God, uh, by his grace, will help you to make? Many are invited, but few are chosen. We see how many are given the invitation, but so many miss out and face the judgment of God. And there's a the mention of weeping and gnashing of teeth at the end there. And these are symbols of judgment. Darkness was a sign of God's judgment against Egypt in the book of Exodus. The plague of darkness fell over the land. And darkness is also going to be a sign of judgment when Jesus is on the cross. A sign of God's judgment against sin. And it will be what we face if we turn down this invitation. And the weeping of gnashing of teeth is one of Matthew's favorite phrases. And it also points to the judgment to come. It's in stark contrast to the wedding banquet where food and drink and celebration flows. For those of us who rightly accept this invitation from God, no matter our past, who trust Jesus with their lives, those who are chosen, we have this wonderful banquet to look forward to. We know we are loved by God, that He treats us like His children. And that there's no better place for us to be than, than under his fatherly care. Make no mistake, we, we don't deserve this invitation. But we know there is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. And over anyone who would accept it. Uh, and the wonderful news is that this banquet is on offer for, for all of us. God welcomes us in. As I said, many are invited but few are chosen. So may we be those who share in this wonderful celebration with the King. Amen.